0: Welcome to the LGBTQ Business Podcast. Brought to you by Titanology, this is the podcast for anyone who wants to beat overwhelm, gain clarity, and start building a business they care about. Each week, Stefan DeVries discusses the practical strategies that members of the LGBTQ community can use to start, grow, and scale their businesses. Because there's nothing better than living a life of freedom. And we're live. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the LGBTQ Business Podcast. My name is Jamie and I'm helping to co-host the show as always. Stefan. Hey man, how are you? Hey, Jamie. I'm very well. Thank you. How's the conference? Stefan, you hosted the Queer Business Conference on Friday?
1: Yeah, last Friday. That was an amazing event. Amazing event. Like that was almost eight, nine hours straight of valuable talks from people within the industry. LGBTQ plus business owners, leaders. Yeah, it was really great to see that many people and so much value to be given for people within the community, yeah. That's the first one you've done, hey? Yeah, yeah the very first one, the first edition. I <laughs> honestly didn't want it to stop because every session like was so much value and taking notes and trying to already think about how you can implement those things. And yeah, there's so much to talk about building businesses. It's crazy. So I'm very excited to say that we're going to do it again next year, for sure. And it's going to be twice as big, for sure, as well. It's the best feeling, isn't it, when you're
0: in a conference and you're like, oh, sh- I can actually use this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love it. People talk to me after the conference saying like, oh my God, there's so much things that I have written down and, and now I have to implement everything and there's, I don't have time. But these are the most valuable things, I think, besides a book or getting coaching or whatever, being in present and such close up with some of these leaders is tremendously valuable for everybody.
0: Yeah, especially because when you think about how the leaders put this stuff together, they're going, okay, well, this is my audience. How can I give them value? So obviously that ends up being valuable.
1: And the fact was also because it was a first edition, the audience wasn't that big. So we could really go one-on-one almost with some of the people from the audience. So that as well, it was a great aspect. Otherwise, if you're in a conference with thousands of people, by the time that you even can pose a question, you don't get a chance to do that. So this was really great for people that did attend the the conference to ask those kind of questions. And we got even from one of the sessions from JD Schramm, we got even like a masterclass, like really a coaching session for everybody that was on there about copywriting, about creating the perfect story around your brand, around your business. So yeah, it was amazing.
0: Last time out, we spoke about building your offer. So today, I think what would be cool to do is get onto the next step, which is conversational marketing. Step one is we've niched down. Step two is we've built an offer. And now we're going to take this offer into the world somehow.
1: Yeah. And I like the term conversational marketing. It's not really used that much. And it's just another word for organic outreach. Just like talking to people through social media, through their DMs. That's what it's about. Because I talk a lot to business owners and they all think that, okay, I'm just going to create an offer and create some content around it. And magically people will start appearing in front of me and I can start selling. Well, it doesn't work that way. I mean, if you're an influencer maybe, but even influencers had to start somewhere. So the first step really, once you get your offer down, is to validate it with your audience, with your niche that you have selected. So you need to create an audience around yourself, an audience with your ideal customers. And how do you do that? Well, it's as simple as just start talking to people but the right kind of people, right? Where do you find them? Yeah, (laughs) good question. Where do you find your ideal customers? Well, we did the exercise around niching down. We already made our overview of criteria that we want to select once we reach out to people. So if we have a great group of business owners, let's say, and one of the criteria is they have to be LGBTQ+, Well, that's a filter that we have to apply on social media as well. On Instagram, it's pretty easy because you can use hashtags. So think about the most relevant hashtags that connect to your ideal audience. You start with that and then you start connecting with people, right? If your audience is on LinkedIn, it's a bit different. Then you really have to take a look at the industry and are there starters? What's your geographic location? And all of that. So each platform has its own way to filter the audience that you want to reach.
0: And once you've filtered them,
1: how do you come across in a way that's not just totally spammy? Be yourself, really. It sounds simple, but that's what it is. You don't want to be their friend, per se. You don't want to become everybody's best friend. You want to build some kind of relationship with your ideal customer. But... You cannot go out there and say, Hey, I'm Stefan here, and I will sell you my coaching program. (laughs) That doesn't work. Or even like, Hey, I'm Stefan, I'm a coach for business owners, and I thought it would be interesting for you. That doesn't work either. Because people are, especially in these days, once COVID hit, everybody went online. So everybody was doing the same. Everybody was blasting text messages to people's DMs and inboxes. So right now, like after two years, people are sick and tired of getting those kind of messages. So you need to go at it in a way that the people that you reach out to already have some kind of connection with you. And that's usually by building your audience. So if you think about Instagram, it's about people that follow you, right? So make people follow you first, and then reach out to them. And to make people follow you, you have to reach out to people, or you have to engage with some of the content or the influencers that relate to your business, and then they will come to you. But once they come to you, once you start building that audience, then you need to engage with those people through DMs, and just ask genuine questions like, hey, thank you for the follow What made you follow me? What triggered you to follow me? So you at least know why they are there.
0: Yeah, what tends to be the most effective platform? Is it industry dependent? Because I know like LinkedIn outreach, I mean, LinkedIn is effectively now a B2B sales platform. So obviously LinkedIn is massive. Instagram obviously is a big deal. Is there a particular way of knowing what platform is right for you?
1: It's really about who do you want to target? I think LinkedIn is really about more B2B indeed, professionally, people that are in the business already, that are in a particular industry. It's more serious, I would say, on LinkedIn. Instagram is more informal, where you would find more people if you're doing B2C, for example, then Instagram would be a better choice. Because if you're a coach, a life coach, for example, and Your ideal target is people that are coming out or youngsters, for example. They are not necessarily on LinkedIn to do business. They are on LinkedIn maybe to find a job, right? But they are on Instagram to share their life. So if you're a life coach and you target those kind of people, then Instagram is a good choice to start with. Is there a specific wrinkle here about the LGBTQ community? And
0: when there are platforms that work better in the context of being part of the community?
1: It's an interesting question, because since we with Titanology shifted our niche to LGBTQ plus, and since I really went all in on Instagram, that was where I saw the greatest success. Before that, I was on Facebook and I didn't really see that much of an effect. So in my case, I would say Instagram was really my platform to get started. But now that I'm adding more services, more offers to Titanology, my niche or my audience is expanding. And for LGBTQ plus professionals or business people, I have to go to LinkedIn. I will not find those people on Instagram. I will find small business owners on Instagram. But if I'm targeting people that have already been in business for a couple of years that are creating big businesses that have already gone through a lot of these hardships, a lot of these struggles, people with some baggage, let's say, on their business shoulders, then I have to go to LinkedIn. So you have to look at your offer, what is your niche connected to that offer, and then you have to indeed select your starting platform. It doesn't mean that if you start with Instagram that you should just stick with Instagram because things change. Now TikTok is there. So TikTok also has a specific audience. And for people that say yeah but TikTok is only for kids, it's not true. Even B2B can be done on TikTok. Facebook is a
0: weird one because I'm twenty-four so Facebook was the only platform of any relevance between the ages of thirteen and sixteen. And then Instagram came in and blew it out of the water. And now, when I'm chatting to people a couple of years younger than me, the idea of using Facebook is like, Grandpa. (laughs) It's like me saying to you, hey, will you MySpace me? I know, it's a totally different thing. And it's an interesting point, because these platforms really are audience-specific. Let's just take LinkedIn for a second, because I know a lot of business, as we've spoken about, goes on there. I've read a fair amount of research that says video messages and audio messages have significantly higher success rates than written DMs basically. Is that
1: your understanding as well? 100%, yeah. People that get DMs all day, every day, everybody uses automation, so everybody thinks it's a bot. So the best way to show that you're a real person is to either send an audio message or to send a video message. That's the best way to create that personal connection already and to show that you're a real person. And that for sure helps tremendously with already creating that first impression. Yeah. You'll at least get
0: opened probably if you put together a video.
1: Yeah, I can testify. I've done this before. I started doing it on Facebook first because Facebook is even worse in terms of automation and DMS. So I did that. And then also on Instagram, even on yeah, LinkedIn, Instagram. Yeah. Those are the platforms. If you send DMS and if you send voice messages, that will create a bigger impact. So is your general rule then just stay away from automation? Oh, yeah. Especially in the beginning. Think about it. If you have your offer, you need to validate your offer, right? So you need to talk to people and get genuine feedback. If you start with automation, well, you're going to get automated responses back. Or people start blocking you. That's not the best way. You don't need thousands and thousands of DMs to get feedback about your offer. You need just... 10, 20 people to respond to you so you can talk
0: to them. Yeah, it makes sense too, because if you're B2B, you don't need that many clients to make the business work. And whether you're B2B or B2C, at the start, you're just needing feedback. I mean, like obviously sales, but feedback equals sales eventually, because you just make your offer the offer that the avatar wants. I mean, let's talk about this when we're talking about conversational marketing. Is there any value in saying to your avatar, so that this is now someone who you reckon might be a client's profile. Hey, I just want some feedback on the thing that I'm doing. What's valuable, what's not valuable? What would this have to look like for you to be interested? Because then you have the advantage of getting the feedback, but also you can go, okay, well, now that you've just told me what this would have to look like for you to be interested, it does look like that. Are you interested?
1: Yeah, 100%. It's definitely something in that I tell people within the academy, within the technology. Academy is then Say that you want to do some market research, genuine market research. You want to get feedback. So ask some questions that are related to your offer that you want to get good, valuable feedback from. And indeed like people will give you their struggles, their challenges, because it is an interview. It is market research. It's not a sales conversation. The interesting thing there though, is you probably need to start in your
0: network because In the same way, it's hard to get on a sales call, it's probably hard to get on a feedback call if you're going in cold.
1: Well, I mean, people are more open to do an interview, if you frame it like that, than on a call. Yeah, I wonder, is there some survey monkey thing that works
0: here and that's a way of getting it done? Or do you need to actually be in the room with someone?
1: You can do also with surveys, with forms, Google Forms, whatever you want, but... People don't have time, right? People are busy. So if you send them something that will take time for them to fill out, they will not do it. So you better just get on a 15 minute call. Everybody has 15 minutes a day. So you do that, you get your feedback and that's done, right? Yeah, and also if you go surveys, you miss the opportunity to like build
0: the relationship. As much as it's not a sales call, it would be quite nice if it turned into a sales call.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it will, it will, because people give you the answers and you will provide them some value. They will say, oh, I have this issue, I have this problem. And you can say, well, I'm building something around that problem that will help you out with that. Would that be of
0: value to you? When you think about conversational marketing, I'm trying to work out how organic an exercise this is. Because I'm imagining some big Excel sheet with LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, like columns right and then going about it that way would you advise creating a kind of structure
1: around the research and the conversational marketing 100% yeah it's all connected to a CRM you need to have a CRM in place if that's a Google sheet fine if that is something like ClickUp or something like Asana or a real CRM right it doesn't really matter but you have to have something where you can keep track of everything Because you will be sending, on average, you should be sending, on average, 10 conversations, 10 DMs per day. At least 10 new people per day. And follow up with the people that you have reached out to yesterday or the day before that. But there's only so much time in your day, so what do you do? You need to make sure that you're strategic about your outreach. So if you only have one hour or two hours, who do you reach out to? Who do you follow up with first? You need to know that. So you need to indeed construct a list, gather all the information, and quantify, qualify those leads to say, okay, these people are most important. They are very close to closing, to converting into sales, so I need to follow up with those people first. And that will create much more impact than just blasting whatever out there and hoping that, Something will stick. And also trying to figure out on the spot, who should I reach out to now? Who should I follow up with now? Not always the people that react immediately. Not always, because if they're not qualified, you'd better reach out to people that you have talked to two days before. So they know that you still exist and there is still a chance to get on a phone with you. Than people that right now at this moment start talking to you. Do you like build out a time in
0: your day, or your working day for outreach? Is this like outreach hour?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day, trying to put it on the same hour, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, for example, or maybe two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Like, if you have one platform, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening is more than enough to start. If you have two platforms, I would recommend one hour linkedin for example one hour facebook in the morning and in the evening because remember that if you're international if your audience is international you have to deal with time zones so you can't start reaching out to people in our morning in european time if you're talking to people in america you have to do that in the afternoon
0: right but the bit i'm interested in is there's enough emphasis on the importance of outreach that doing somewhere
1: between one and four hours a day is a reasonable use of time? 100%, especially in the beginning, because you need to validate your offer as soon as possible. If you get two, three sales within the first two weeks of doing outreach, by all means, go launch Facebook ads, because you know that your offer is validated. It's not pure luck. It is predictable. It's repeatable. So then you have to leverage more of your time. So you need to include Facebook ads. But you need to get that. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people, again, get stuck. And there's a lot of resistance to doing it like that because everybody is so big on you have to create content, you have to create reels, you have to create cute videos, blah, blah, blah. It's all fine. And you're going to get thousands of followers and thousands of likes and thousands of engagement. But what do you do with them?
0: Yeah. And also there's a point here about creating barriers to entry that don't exist. It's brilliant if you have thousands of followers and gorgeous content. That's what we're doing here in some ways, right? But let's not pretend that you can't talk to a prospective customer or get your offer validated because you don't have a TikTok.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You don't need all of that. You don't need content. You don't need a website. You don't need anything to validate an offer because remember, salespeople before the social media age were selling their products.
0: On the phone, presumably.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the only difference now is instead of us picking up the phone, we start DM conversations.
0: Yeah. There's a wider point here about businesses, especially at the start, especially in the LGBTQ community where like we can create barriers to entry that don't exist. I think it's difficult because you see, we see Instagram and we see things that are so polished. And then we compare what we're offering against that polished thing and we go, well, I could never take this to market or validate the offer in this mine also looked like that, but it's making a crucial mistake, which is the quickest, most effective route to your thing. Also looking like that is having a fucking conversation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just talk to people, but there's so much reluctance to do that because people are afraid of getting out there, putting themselves yeah, out. That's there. awkward. No one
0: wants to, no one wants to, There. Yeah. But why
1: is it awkward? Why?
0: It's not nice to feel like you're putting yourself out there, either rejecting you, which sucks, or they're rejecting the quality of what you're offering, which also sucks. Maybe it's some combination of both, which is a nice heady mix.
1: (laughs) So it's a fear of rejection.
0: Yeah. Fundamentally, it'll end up boiling down to a fear of rejection.
1: Yeah. And I agree with that, but it's not rejection. It's objections. There's a big difference between objections and rejections. A rejection is, Jamie, get out of my face. I don't want to talk to you ever again. An objection is, "Mm, I don't like this offer. I don't know what you're selling. I don't trust you. Why would I do business with you? That's an objection. And I get it. People don't want to start a conversation because they fear to be rejected. But you need that feedback, How else will you ever know that your offer is good enough to get sales if you don't even know if people like it or not? And content by itself will not cut it, will not be enough. There's a significant
0: something in there as well, which is that a rejection feels personal and irredeemable. An objection is an impersonal, them-specific problem with some current state of affairs, which is solvable. Yeah, I don't think people have a problem with objections. It's an interesting point. It's feeling rejected. So if you can see it as, well, they have a list of objections here to their lack of understanding of me, maybe it's something to do with the product. Now it's less scary, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And
0: that's how people should look at it. Mm, There's definitely something there about people aren't rejecting you as a human being. They're having an objection to your offer, the context of your offer. The context of you, the language, the context of your lack of relationship, you know, something
1: there. So that is the question. How do you improve that message? How do you improve the offer? How do you make sure that next time that you present your offer, that it is better, right? Well, you get some feedback is what you do. (laughs) Yeah, it's the feedback loop. The sooner that you get the feedback, the better it is. Always, always. It's with everything that you do, the continuous improvement cycle needs to go up it's so obvious when you say it like that though
0: like you need the feedback but to get the feedback you need to go put yourself out there i mean if you create a reel
1: about your offer about specific parts right you get feedback as well in terms of no engagement or a lot of engagement but that by itself again doesn't say too much about if people really want to do business with you I see it far too often and I don't care if people say, yeah, but look, if I have thousands of followers and they reach out to me to do business with me, good, good for you. But for everyone, that is maybe one out of what? One out of a hundred, one out of a thousand?
0: Yeah, it's an unrealistic expectation. It's an exaggerated perception of how business works. I think the vast majority of businesses, even very established businesses, do a significant amount of outreach. The idea that, oh, we'll just be totally passive and customers will come to us indefinitely. I mean, look, I'm sure that there's people have niches and they are at the top of the hierarchy, but it's something that happens. You don't plan for it. And also, by the way, if you look at how they got there,
1: they got there by doing the relentless levels of outreach. That's the thing. People compare themselves with people that have already a huge audience. But they have to get there. You have to build that audience. Even like you said, big companies are still doing outreach. Why do big companies have sales teams? Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how big Facebook sales team is trying to get ads? You know, you've mentioned Facebook ads today unprompted. Everyone knows what Facebook ads are. And yet they have sales teams who call up businesses and say, hello, we're Facebook or we're
1: Meta. Do you want to use our ads? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's something that is normal. It's part of your business. And at the start of your business, your job is to do everything. You're the salesperson. You're the owner. You're the producer. You're the support person. You're your customer service, whatever. You have all these roles that you have to do yourself. So thinking that one of these roles is not something you should do is just wrong. It's just dead wrong. You have to be content producer, for sure, you have to create content, but you also have to do prospecting, you have to do sales, you have to do fulfillment. Up until the point that your offer is validated, you get enough sales that are repeatable and predictable, and then then you can think about, okay, I don't like sales, I don't like outreach, I'm going to hire a team member to do that, or I'm going to outsource it, all good. Have you read the book, The E-Myth, by Michael Gerber? Yes, I'm listening to it right now, actually. Ah,
0: oh, man. So The E-Myth, right? It's old school. It's 90s. But it's the small business Bible. So it misses all the content stuff. But it's just making this point really well of you like doing a thing. So you think, I'll start a business around it. But then what inevitably happens is when you're doing the thing, you're not also an outreacher. You're not a content producer. You're not a systems manager. You're not a feedback receiver, you're just doing a thing. And when people start businesses, the thing that I think often gets missed, and he describes this as being in technician mode rather than entrepreneur or manager mode, is you kind of go, well, I was making shoes. I enjoyed making shoes. I'm still making shoes, now it's a business. Not quite, because now it's a business. There are like these five, six, seven other roles you need to fulfill. And at the start, you sort of do all of them badly, but it's fine because you don't need to do them well. You just need to do them well enough that you have some kind of a revenue that you can then outsource, and that's welcome to business.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and the role of the business owner is to think strategically every step of the way. Like, if you get your first sale, okay, how will you leverage that process that you have used to get that first sale to get a second one? And if you have the second one, and you have more resources, how will you strategically Leverage those resources to become bigger. Hire more people that can do some of the things that you do not like to do. So every step of the way should be about how can I improve the business as an owner, not as a producer, not as a technician, like you say. And I see this too many times. I'm helping somebody right now who has also started his business and doing a lot of marketing, for example, for other businesses. But that's the only thing that is happening right now, doing marketing for other businesses. So it's not possible to scale like that because he is the one that is doing everything and being an owner and being this and that, so.
0: There's a distinction, isn't there, between working in your business, which is what he's doing, and working on your business, which is the expansion of the operations. And the difficult thing is if you're doing it yourself, You might find, and I'm certainly in this point where I'm spending so much time making sure the thing works, creating systems for the thing that you can
1: forget. Oh my God, didn't I have an outreach plan? (laughs) People think they don't have time to do outreach anymore because they have to do everything themselves and outreach is not one of them. Well, if you still want to have a business a year from now, I recommend that you make a priority of outreach until you have enough resources to start adding new team members. When do you know how to jump into Facebook ads or Instagram ads? For me personally, I think, I believe that if you have sales every single month by using the same process, like, okay, I create this kind of content and did that kind of outreach with that specific offer that results in a sale again and again, a couple of times. Three, four five times then you take that process you take that message you take that offer and you create an ad a facebook ad around that so it leverages your time and then if you get more leads through facebook ads you convert those to sales and if that is something that is repeatable again on facebook ads you scale more of those ads and that's how you create a bigger business at a certain point, everybody needs to do advertising at a certain point.
0: So, in short, once the thing's validated, once you know this kind of messaging, this kind of dopamine, these kind of pain points, at that
1: stage, you can go and do some ads. For that specific offer, remember, we can have several offers within our company, but we start with one offer, our core product, and we make that work. And then we can leverage. Facebook ads, and then we can create a new offer that we try to sell. And if we sell that new offer again and again, we create ads around that new offer and so on and so on. But it's offer specific.
0: You're validating one offer and then advertising your business. You're validating an offer
1: and then advertising your offer. 100%. Because if you're looking at the sales process, for example, if people are having objections Usually, they are not objected to the fact that they want to work with your company. Like Titanology. Nobody has an objection against Titanology. That's my company. But they have an objection to my offer to help them build their businesses, for example. Right?
0: Yeah, well, the company is just a means to the offer, isn't it? Unless you stand for something particularly offensive you know, in the case of lots of bigger businesses who are now going to, like Abercrombie & Fitch. And that's what Abercrombie & Fitch and you stand for something fairly offensive. It's the offer that people are interested in. Yeah, for most people, it's just a container to the offer.
1: That's how it's supposed to be. If you have a company that is called Jamie Slavin and that's your company, then it's hard to detach yourself from that company because it's just you, Right. So be careful there, if you want to do it like that, because then there is almost no distinction between an objection between you, your company, your offer, it's all the same. So it's a good idea to think about if you're creating a company around your life coaching, that you at least give it some name that is not necessarily your name. Unless you want to just create a job for yourself. I mean, that's possible. (laughs) You can become a freelancer for yourself and just do it like many do and just not scaling, not building, not growing, but that's another thing, of course.
0: Well, yeah, the other thing is like when these small businesses go wrong, you've just given yourself the worst job in the world because your boss lives with you in your room, your income isn't guaranteed. Forget health insurance.
1: I do agree, Jamie, that people should listen or read e just for the sake of it, just to get the understanding about this, these kind of principles. Yeah. It would have saved me six months. Honestly, had I read it
0: going in, you know, books, this is the most naff thing I'm going to say all day. They're obviously, like, written to help people that look like you. So read them, please. Jesus.
1: <laughs> books make you think differently. And if you don't like to read, go download audiobooks.
0: Also, can you imagine how much it would cost to have these the authors consult with you one-on-one for an hour? And you're getting three quarters of the value for a tenner. Like, you really are getting three quarters of the value. Okay, it's not specific to you, and there's nuance, and you're all very terribly interesting, blah, blah, blah. But basically, the principles are, uh, cost £10. As the attention economy has grown and all the rest, we might have missed that point. That's something that is potentially underrated yeah
1: for sure for sure people that don't read books or don't think that they can get value from books are not business owners period
0: (laughs) okay listen before we go i just want to pick your brains on one more thing which is phone calls because if you're like most people your relationship with sales phone calls are receiving them and thinking that's annoying and watching the Wolf of Wall Street and being slightly weirdly impressed. So how are we getting people on the phone and how are we not being cold callers?
1: Good question, Jamie. Well, as we talked before, it's about first creating those first contact points through DMs, asking people like, why did you follow me and how are you doing? And then I always say, before you want to get them on the phone, ask three qualifying questions. That are related to your offer. So you already know more or less if you can help them or not. Like, I ask them, like, okay, what is your biggest challenge now when it comes to your digital business? Pretty generic one, but people respond on that and they say, yeah, I don't get enough customers. I don't get the right kind of people. And then I'd say, yeah, I get that a lot. You know what? I got some ideas that might help you out. If you're open for it, let's jump on a 15-minute call and we can talk all about it.
0: So you're creating a context where
1: you can provide some value. Yeah, because the first call, 15 minutes, everybody has 15 minutes. It's just me providing them value, giving them some ideas how their problem can be solved, really. Giving them the tools or the templates to solve their problem. But just enough, or maybe just not enough that they can do it themselves or that they see like, okay, it's still nothing that I can do by my own, so I will need some more help. And then you can transition that into an extra call and doing a sales call. The first objective of getting people on a call is not to get a sale. Is to help them out, is to do discovery, is to ask a lot of questions and to paint a picture for them, what it would look like if you could solve that problem. And if they are invested enough in that solution, then they will not mind that you go into more of the sales or do another sales call with them. They don't mind. They will expect that.
0: Right. Well, they also might see it as a means to getting that thing solved because the sale obviously has to happen before you initiate the service.
1: Yeah, I mean, even cold calling is still something that is valuable. Because again, this goes back to what we all started with. Like our first episode, I think we talked about this. We have an obligation to sell our products, to sell our service, because we can help people. Our stuff generally helps people. So it's our obligation to reach out to as many people as we can to tell them that we can help them with our offer, so even cold calling is part of that. Now, at the beginning, I wouldn't recommend that because if people are already reluctant to getting on DMs with people that they don't know, these people, but they are following you, you know, then cold calling is not a good idea. But still, at a certain point, if you have a sales team, they will do it. They will have to do it.
0: Stefan, thank you, mate. That was very interesting. It's a topic that's alive for me at the minute because I'm doing a fair bit of outreach. So I'm thinking about the means and the most effective ways to do it. And I think that was a super useful chat.
1: One thing that I will end with, don't get overwhelmed by it. Don't think you need to do this eight hours a day. Guard your time, guard your energy and make sure that you can do it every day a little bit so it becomes a habit. Stefan, thank you, mate. And
0: thank you, everyone, for listening to the LGBTQ plus business podcast. And as always, we'll see you in a couple of weeks time. So thank you for listening to the LGBTQ plus business podcast. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to turn your side hustle into a real business, visit us at titanology.world.